following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Glad you're here. Uh, we're going to be looking this morning in Mark chapter 1, verses 29 to 39. Uh, so if you want to follow along in a Bible, or we'll have it on the screen here in a minute. Um, as we look at uh, what I've called a day in the life, a day in the life of Jesus, uh, day in the life of Jesus. So that's uh, kind of the setting of uh, Mark 1, 29 to 39. So let's read, begin by reading uh, from God's word. And immediately Jesus left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, and casting out demons. Um, it's, it's interesting that uh, Mark begins uh, his gospel. Uh, of, of course, we looked at some of the backdrop with John and the announcement and some of the scripture um, that helps us understand who Jesus is. But then the first thing he does is he gives this kind of sample of a day in the life of Jesus. We don't really get that in any, any of the other gospels. Um, that may be that some of the events happened all in one day, but Mark uh, really stitches these accounts together uh, all in one day. And so it's, it's a great snapshot of what life kind of was like for Jesus. And uh, it's, 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 uh, if you really want to know kind of how life is for somebody, you think about what would it be like to have a day in the life of a fireman, or the day in the life of a preacher. <laughs> it's pretty boring. Um, day in the life of, I don't know, whoever, you know, president or the prime minister, right? It tells us something about what's life like for them. And we get that here uh, with Jesus. Uh, what would it be like if we, if we had a video, a day in the life of you? <laughs> right? what, would it, what would it be? Uh, it would certainly tell us something about you uh, and what, uh, what life is for you. Uh, but more than that, I think it would, it would show us something about your priorities, what's important to you. Uh, what uh, what you've dedicated your life to, the kind of choices you've made, right? And certainly life for most of us is, is about a lot of like daily routines that may not be all that exciting. Uh, but it does show something about what's important to us. And that is definitely true for Jesus. Like as we get this uh, uh, look into his life, we see what really an extraordinary life he lived. But more than that, it, it helps us see what was really important to Jesus. What was his mission? 
What were the priorities by which he arranged his life and his time? And this snapshot of the day and life of Jesus really gives us a, a vivid picture of what Jesus wanted to be about in his life and why. Right, so let's uh, look at this and um, see if we can learn some things about Jesus and, and how we can uh, apply some of what he did and even as it applies to our own life. Um, uh, and the first thing we see is that uh, a day in the life of Jesus had a lot to do with dealing with demons and disease. Right? Uh, this wasn't just because it was a Sabbath or because it was a unique day, but this is really typical of Jesus, that for most of Jesus' three years of ministry, he spends huge amounts of time dealing with the demons, casting out demons, and dealing with people who were brought to him who were sick or crippled or blind. Right? And, and much of the Gospel of Mark deals with these kind of accounts and stories. And so, uh, so this is typical for Jesus. And actually, the Sabbath day, uh, for this Sabbath day that Mark chronicles for us, actually began uh, with the, uh, uh, what Andrew addressed last week. It actually starts in the synagogue. So Mark 1.21 says, And they, that is Jesus and his disciples, went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And, and Andrew touched on that last week and talked about Jesus' authority in his teaching, right? And, and also his authority in casting out demons. Um, so, so we see that this is a Sabbath day that Mark is highlighting. And it begins with Jesus going into the Sabbath and teaching, uh, which was, uh, we'll see is, is a significant part of his life and ministry. Uh, and after church, so church gets out. And what do you do after church? Oh, come on, you know what you do. What do you do after church? You eat lunch, right? Right? Or is any of you out there like, no, we just fast on Sunday. Any of you? No, but most of you are. We go eat lunch, right? We're hungry. We want to go eat lunch. And so that was probably Jesus. He got done preaching the sermon. And his disciples were like, ready for lunch. And uh, they did not have uh, restaurants. You you go home. And so thankfully... uh, uh, Andrew's home was very near the synagogue. And if you've ever been to Capernaum, it's this little town that's kind of squished up against the beach of the Sea of Galilee on one side and the mountains behind. And so it's a kind of narrow strip of flat land right by the sea. And um, the traditional house, we don't know for sure if it was Andrew's house, but the traditional house that's identified as his is literally just a few steps outside the synagogue. So you can see them leaving the synagogue and going to Andrew's house, and they're all excited for lunch. But there's a problem. The cook is sick, right? So it says that immediately they left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And Simon's mother-in-law, who presumably is the cook, lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. Now, um, you know, I, I don't want to make too, much, too light of Scripture, right? This is the Bible. But I just, I just in my kind of food-centered brain where I arrange most of my life around food. That's my day in the life with Tim is what did he eat, right? And by many people's Instagram accounts, I would say that's true for a lot of people. Uh, but, so here it is, you know, lunch, the cook is sick, and so we have a problem. So they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, sorry, but we're going to we're gonna have to delay lunch because mom's sick, right? But Jesus... Uh, uh, he's the healer. So we see at the synagogue, he's the one who has dominion over demons and evil spirits, and he casts out the demon. Uh, and, and then we see right after that, 
He's also the one who heals the sick. And it's important to understand, you know, for us, we think about a fever as kind of an inconvenience, right? Uh, probably if somebody gets a fever, we don't call the prayer chain and alert, alert prayer warriors worldwide. You know, I got a fever of 101. Uh, please pray, right? Do we do that? Probably not. Why? Well, because we don't think of prayer as a, of, of fever as a big deal, or prayer maybe as a big deal. Um, we, don't, we don't see it as life-threatening. But in, in the day before antibiotics and, and medicine, uh, fevers oftentimes ended in death. Right? This was a big deal. But not only that, uh, uh, we see from um, uh, uh, the Old Testament, specifically Deuteronomy, that... Um, that God said in, in the curses, the curses section of Deuteronomy, that he would send fevers upon them. Right? And so for, for her to have a, a sickness of a fever, it was kind of seen by, the, by Jewish people as something that God sent and only God could cure. Right? So for Jesus to come, and it says in verse 31, that he took her by the hand and he lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. Like immediately, the fever's gone and all the traces of weakness and fatigue and, and sickness are gone. And she starts fixing lunch. Yay, saves the day, right? There's going to be lunch. And uh, she serves them. She, she becomes the hostess and she, uh, she ministers to them. Uh, so, that, so that's, uh, uh, you know, saves the day. They have lunch, presumably because it's the Sabbath after lunch, there's a time of rest. Maybe Jesus did what I always do on a Sunday afternoon. Maybe he took a nap. Uh, it doesn't say. We don't know. Um, but uh, there was this period. And then it says in verse 32, uh, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases. And he cast out many demons and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Right, so, um, so two, two things kind of dominate Jesus' day. Right, as we see both in the morning and then in the evening. And by the way, the significance of sundown is that, of course, for the Jews, the Sabbath went from sun, uh, sunset, to, I mean, yeah, sunset to sunset. So the Sabbath day didn't end on Monday morning. The Sabbath day for them ended at sunset on on Sunday evening. And so um, the sun goes down. They now uh, have freedom and permission to resume kind of normal life, which meant they could bring the sick and the, the crippled and the lame, and they could bring them to Jesus. They could line up and so he could heal them. Right? So, so all of a sudden, as soon as the sun goes down, this massive crowd arrives at the door of, of, of this little house, and uh, these people bring the sick and the demon-possessed, and Jesus, he heals them. Right, uh, so there's two major things that make up this this day, but also of Jesus' life in general. And one is healing the sick, right? And uh, 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 that's that's a lot of what Jesus did. And we see that with, uh, of course, Peter's mother-in-law. But then in the evening, many people are coming, and Jesus it says he he heals many. That doesn't mean that he didn't heal them all, but it just means they brought all the sick to him, and, and there were many of them, and he healed them all. He healed them all. Um, uh, and uh, along with that, he is casting out demons. 
and, and in this, in this passage here, it, it says that he would not permit them to speak. And it's just a reminder that uh, he comes with authority. He comes as one who is over them and has the power, and, and as Andrew brought out last week, the authority to command them and to have dominion, control over them. So he's casting out these demons uh, and he's commanding them not to speak and not to, to, to declare who he is. And they all obey, right? And then we see down at the, at the end of this passage in verse 39, uh, next morning, it says that uh, he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So we see that this wasn't just a, a, a unique day in the life of Jesus, but this really pictured how life went for him. And day by day, this is what he did. He went and preached in the synagogues. And um, unlike us, people actually would show up at the synagogue outside of just Sunday morning. Or in, in their case, actually Saturday. The Sabbath, of course, was Saturday. But um, they, would, uh, they would have class and they uh, would often be in the synagogue. And so he would, he would teach there daily. Uh, and he would uh, cast out demons and, and heal people. Um, now, uh, if, you, if you remember, when we first started looking a couple, few weeks back at the book of Mark, we said that the first few verses of the book of Mark, in those verses, Mark gives us a key or a lens that we could understand Jesus' life and ministry through the rest of the book. Does anybody remember that? Nobody. Okay, well, well, we'll have to go back and review that sermon real briefly. Yeah, in, in the first part of it, uh, we get this picture of who Jesus is. Son of God, Messiah, uh, who is empowered by God to fulfill the ministry of the Messiah. And most importantly, in Mark 1, 14 and 15, uh, it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And if you were here that Sunday when we talked about that, you'll remember that we said when Jesus says the kingdom of God is, is at hand, he doesn't mean it's coming soon. He means it's now showing. Remember that? Does it ring a bell? Now showing, right? It's, it's here. right? The kingdom has arrived because Jesus, who's the king, has arrived. And uh, the kingdom is here. The time is fulfilled, right? And so uh, Mark intends for us to see all the events that happened throughout the gospel, about through, the, through the Gospel of Mark, with that understanding that Jesus is coming proclaiming the kingdom because it has arrived. Right? And, and so what we see here is that uh, what it means for the kingdom of, or to arrive, we said that it means the kingdom is God's rule and his reign, right? God's rule over the hearts of men and women and people, uh, that the king has come and he's bringing this new age, this new kingdom. Uh, but what exactly... What, what exactly is the kingdom? Like, what is the nature of this kingdom? What is the nature of Jesus' rule? Now, of course, what the Jewish people living in that time were expecting is that Jesus was going to overthrow Rome and set up a truly uh, Jewish nation, much like the kingdom of David, where they would be independent and autonomous and out from underneath Roman authority. But... A day in the life of Jesus reveals something very different, doesn't it? Right? Jesus is not going out there training soldiers for battle. Right? 
We don't see him passing out swords and saying, you know, this is how you do the ninja warrior thing. Right? He's not doing that. Right? He's, not, he's not making strategic military battle plans. He's not meeting with his disciples saying, look, if we can attack the Romans here and here, if we could build armies, if we could have fortresses. He's not doing any of that, is he? Right? Uh, so the kingdom is clearly not, does not mean overthrowing Rome. And of course we know as, from the rest of the gospel and the rest of the Bible that uh, that's not on Jesus' agenda. And that's not what the kingdom is about. The kingdom was not a political kingdom uh, renewing uh, Israel as a nation. Right? So what does it mean for the kingdom to come? Well, what did Jesus do as the king who was bringing the kingdom? Well, he healed people and he cast out demons. Right? He healed people and he cast out demons. Right? So, what can, we, what can we conclude from that? Well, I think what Mark's trying to show us uh, through pictures more than through explanation is that the arrival of the kingdom of God in Christ means that the kingdom of darkness is being defeated and is being brought under the dominion of Jesus. And we see this inbreaking of the kingdom uh, first in Jesus' dominion over demonic powers and secondly in bringing healing and wholeness to what was broken and damaged at the fall. Okay? That's kingdom. That's the kingdom come right, at, at some level. Uh, it means uh, Satan uh, is losing his grip on this world. Right? Uh, the demons that had been free to do whatever they wanted to wreak havoc in so many lives, now Jesus is driving them out. He is taking dominion over them. He is commanding them. He's telling them to shut up and get out of there. Right? And they, they do. Right? So you see the kingdom of darkness being pushed back. Right? The powers of Satan being pushed back. And, uh, and people are being healed. Right? Jesus is restoring to wholeness. He's really returning people to God's original created plan. Right? God did not create a world full of sickness and disease and brokenness. Those are all results of sin and the fall. And Jesus is bringing about a great reversal of that. He's restoring people to wholeness and health uh, that was part of God's original design and creation. Uh, so uh, so if, if the kingdom is anything, it is the reign and rule of God. And it is the reign and rule of God that's bringing uh, light into darkness. Right, that's pushing back the forces of evil and of Satan and of the demons. And that's bringing restored health and wholeness and life to people uh, who have been broken and whose lives and bodies have been ravaged by sin. Okay, that all sounds good, except well, I, I know what most of us are thinking, right? You're all thinking, well, then what happened? Because I got up this morning, well, I did anyway, I got up this morning and it hurt, Right? Just getting out of bed is painful when you get over a certain age, uh, which I'm over. Right? Uh, we, we see sickness all around us. Right? We see brokenness all around us. We experience it. Right? Um, if, if, if the kingdom has arrived and Jesus brought uh, the kingdom and that kingdom means healing and wholeness and health and the driving away of evil... Uh, what happened? Because not only is there brokenness and sin, but we see all around us evil. 
And I, I don't know about you, but I feel like the evil is gaining ground. I don't feel like it's being pushed back. I feel like it's like growing, right? So what happened? Was the kingdom only temporary? Uh, when Jesus says the kingdom has arrived, it was only here as long as he was on earth. And when Jesus left, he took the kingdom with him. Is that what happened? And now we're just waiting for the kingdom to come back when the king comes back. Um, or can we expect kingdom life here and now? Can we expect healing and restoration here and now? Well, I think I can say pretty confidently that Jesus did not take the kingdom with him when he returned to heaven. Right? He came, it says, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom uh, and inviting people to enter into that kingdom and into kingdom life. And I, I don't believe he meant, well, I'm inviting you, but it, you know, you're going to have to wait a long time. No, I think he's saying you can experience kingdom life here and now. Um, he, he, he meant when the kingdom arrived, he meant it arrived because the time was fulfilled, right? The end time has come, it's begun. And so the kingdom has arrived in a way uh, from Christ onward that was not true before he was here. So what happened, right? Why is it there's still so much sickness and evil if the kingdom is here? Well, I think this short answer, we, we're not going to unpack all of this this morning. We'll deal with it as we go through the book. But um, I think the short answer is this. The kingdom begun is not the kingdom completed. Okay. The kingdom begun is not the kingdom finished, right? Jesus inaugurated the kingdom. Uh, it started it. Uh, he, he, he introduced kingdom life. And we see the evidence and proof of that in these people who are being healed and in, in the demons that are being cast out. Um, but, uh, but even Jesus, while he was here on earth, even Jesus did not heal everyone he could have, right? And I think one of the most uh, remarkable um, pictures of this is when Jesus goes into Jerusalem later uh, and he's at the Pool of Bethsaida. Remember this account? Jesus comes into the Pool of Bethsaida and there's a man there who's crippled. And Jesus walks up to this man and says, you would, would, you like, uh, would you like to be healed? And he says, well, I would love to be, but I, I'm not fast enough. When the waters get stirred up, I can't get to the pool in time and everybody beats me, right? And there was some idea that the pool had this healing capacity. And if you could get into it in time, you could, you could receive some of its healing power, right? And so what we know about that pool is everybody there was there for healing. Right? There were maybe dozens, maybe, we don't know, maybe a hundred people, a lot of people there trying to take advantage of this, the healing water of this pool, but how many does Jesus heal there? Well, only one, right? He says to this man, well, if you want to be healed, take up your mat and walk. You don't need the pool. I'll heal you right here and now. And he does. And the guy gets up and walks. And he doesn't even know who Jesus is. Later, the, 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 the scribes and Pharisees accuse him of carrying his bed on a Sabbath. He says, well, that guy, I don't know, some guy just told me to. And I did, right? And he goes, well, who was that guy? Well, I come to find out it was Jesus, right? So, so Jesus doesn't, even, even uh, he himself while he was here, he didn't heal everybody. Right? So the, the coming of the kingdom never meant uh, that all sickness, all death, all, all, you know, all disease would be uh, eradicated. 
Uh, and not only that, but more importantly, every single person that Jesus ever healed, everyone, without exception, every person that Jesus touched and healed, every one of them died. Right? Which means they really weren't that healed. Like, if you're really healed 100%, you live forever. None of them live forever, right? So, yes, the kingdom came. Jesus was rolling back the, the, the effects of sin. He was reversing uh, the effects of the curse. But uh, it wasn't the finished work, right? That was still waiting for uh, his second coming, right? Uh, so he, he inaugurates the kingdom. He starts the kingdom. He brings the kingdom uh, but it's the beginning, not the end. It's the start of it, not its completion. Um, yes, he drove demons out of people, but he did not drive Satan and his army out of the world. Right? So yes, evil still exists in the world, everywhere. Right? But, uh, but we uh, are invited into the kingdom. Right? Um, and he is saying that uh, it's not final, it's a complete, uh, where all creation will be made new. Uh, but it it does have implications for us, right? Um, it means we can seek deliverance from our own brokenness, right? Um, now, are we going to get full and final healing? Well, no, not until Jesus returns. But can we expect some healing, <laughs> some un, some fixing of our brokenness? Absolutely, absolutely, right? That's the kingdom come. Uh, and Jesus brings to us not only to these people in, in, that he touched in his own day, but to all of us. I believe uh, Jesus brings a kingdom of light, of, of uh, touching us to restore in some ways the brokenness of life. Uh, and certainly we see that uh, ultimately in the forgiveness of sin. Right? Uh, he wipes out our sin. Uh, and he gives us the power to overcome sin. Right? But does that mean that all of us have absolutely overcome sin? <laughs> does it mean any of us have absolutely overcome sin? Well, probably not. Right? We, we battle with it. It's a process. Right? So, so we are already, if we are in Christ, if we have put our faith in Christ, we already are in the kingdom. And we are already being restored and made new. Okay, but the key word there is being restored and made new. Right? It is a work in progress. And the work God has begun in us will not be completed until Jesus returns. Right? So Paul writes in Philippians 1.6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion when? Paul says at the day of Christ Jesus, when he returns. Right? So living in the kingdom means God has started a work in you. A work of healing, of bringing wholeness, of restoring you to his original purpose and design for your life. Uh, and it's a work that he will do that will progress through your whole life. Uh, and it will find its final completion. He'll bring it to completion on the day of Christ, right? Uh, if we uh, if we claim to be in Christ, but we're not seeing any restoration, any bringing of healing and wholeness, right? Then then we should wonder what, like what we're missing and why. 
at the same time, we should not be discouraged because we still are not there yet, right? Because we still struggle with brokenness, because we still hurt, because we still get sick, because um, it won't be brought to completion until the day of Christ, right? Uh, so, so, so that's the first thing we see in this uh, day in the life of Jesus. He is bringing the kingdom, and he brings it to you and I as, as well. Uh, second thing, though, we can't go into the, the, the day in the life of Jesus without uh, overlooking this really important point, and it is the source of Jesus' power. How is it Jesus is able to uh, bring the kingdom? How is it he is able to heal and to cast out demons? Um, well, we see in this glimpse in the daily life of Jesus that there's something that Jesus does every day. It's not as visible, it's not as public, but it is vitally important. Right? Verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. There he prayed. Uh, if you are in ministry, especially if you're in vocational full-time ministry, we should all be in ministry, but if, if you are a person whose work is, is doing ministry, uh, you need to really pay attention to these verses here. Because this is what I hear often. I hear people say all the time, yeah, you know, I know I should pray. I know prayer is important. But you know, I'm just too busy. Right? I just, you don't know how, I mean, I've just got demands on my life and my time and my schedule because I am serving God. And, you know, I think God's okay with it if I serve Him and I neglect prayer. Right? I think people think this all the time. But I want you to look at this. Here is Jesus. Son of God, God incarnate, right? Who is serving God, who is doing ministry. And I'll tell you what, he realizes the importance of prayer, right? He doesn't say, well, you know, I'm tired. I was up last night till midnight healing people. I think I'm just going to sleep in. Because, you know, prayer is not... I mean, I know prayer is important, but, I mean, God will understand, right? I was busy. I'm tired, right? Is that what Jesus does? No. It says he gets up while it was still dark. In the Greek, it says while it was still nighttime, right? Before the sunrise, while it was still night. Um, he got up super early, maybe with not enough sleep. Because right? we don't know how long he'd been up the night before healing people, casting out demons. right? And he goes out to a, a desolate place. Literally, he goes out to the wilderness. Same word that's used when it says in, in earlier that the Holy Spirit drove him out into the wilderness to be sent, tempted by Satan. Same word, the wilderness, to pray. And I really believe that, that this reveals the source of Jesus' power how it is that Jesus was able to perform all these miracles and have dominion and power over demons, right? And, and even beyond that, to know, to know what his mission was, to know how to spend each day, to know where to go and how to spend his time. I think he sorted all that out first thing in the morning as God spoke to him and led him and 
showed him what the plan was for that day. And I think one of the things is, you know, we, we, uh, we know that Jesus was God's son. We know he came from heaven. We know he's God, second person of the Trinity. And I really do think we sometimes uh, fail to recognize what it meant for Jesus to be fully human. But in the incarnation, Jesus became uh, a human being, became a person like us. He took on human life in every sense. And, and as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, it meant, it meant he laid aside the glory and power that he had to create the universe, right? And so Jesus uh, maintained his divine nature, right? He had a nature that was without sin. He did not take on our fallen, sinful human nature. But in every other way, he was human. And he lived life just like us, right? And he chose not to draw on his supernatural power within himself as the second person, the Son of God, to do these miracles, right? Uh, he did these through, as we saw uh, earlier in Mark, through the filling of the Holy Spirit, firstly. And secondly, I believe, through prayer, right? Uh, it was in those times when he was in the wilderness meeting with God alone that he tapped into that power and he understood God's plan and God's will and God's purpose. He says in John, he says, I don't do anything except for what the Father's doing. And the Father shows me what he's doing, right? So I, do, I guess this picture, I mean, I'm kind of a literal kind of guy. I just picture in the morning, and he's in there in the morning, and he's like, okay, God, what's happening today? Who, who, where are you working? Where are you moving? Who are you going to touch? And God brought to his mind people and situations and places, right? And it's like, okay, Jesus goes, I know now where God's going to move. And I'm just going to tap into his power and I'm going to be the channel through which God works. Right? And that happened through prayer. Um, so, so Jesus, uh, this, is, this, is, this is how ministry works for him. Right? I, I think Jesus can't imagine doing anything till he prays first. Right? Uh, now you may say, well, how do you know that prayer was the secret to his power? It doesn't really say that here. But, and that's true. Uh, it's more modeled. It's more modeled. And we can assume that, uh, that this was his daily practice. We can assume that the day before, before he went to the synagogue, that he had likewise spent time in prayer, uh, lining out his day. But uh, we can see in other places in Scripture that Jesus, uh, Jesus himself attributes the power to healing and casting out demons to prayer. I uh, remember later... Jesus commissions, he gives this authority to his disciples, to the twelve. He says, I've been doing this now, I've shown you, now I'm going to send you out, you're going to do the same thing, and I'm giving you authority, I'm giving you this power in the Holy Spirit to do this. Right? And so they go out and it works. They start casting out demons and they start healing the sick. And they come back and they report to Jesus, wow, <laughs> this works. Uh, we have power and Jesus says, I, I saw Satan falling from heaven like lightning. Right? The kingdom's coming, not only through Jesus, but through his disciples. This is good news for us, right? But I remember a little bit later, uh, Jesus is up uh, experiencing the transfiguration, <laughs> hanging out with Moses and Elijah, comes down off the mountain, and there's this kind of mob scene where this crowd's about to get really angry with the disciples. And Jesus is like, why in the world I leave these guys alone for one few hours and disaster? What's going on? 
They said, well, this man brought his son to be healed of a demon and we couldn't do it. Okay? Jesus, oh, how, much, how long do I have to live with this faithless generation? And he casts out the demon and, and the, 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 the disciples failed. Right? They did not have the power. It didn't work. Right? It didn't work. And later they come to Jesus and they said, Jesus, what did we do wrong? What was the cause of our failure? How do we, how do we, how do we do this? Right? Nobody likes to fail. And what does Jesus say to them? This kind comes out only by prayer. Right? By prayer. Right? If you want to tap into that power, and I don't think Jesus means you know, that they didn't say, you know, in Jesus' name. Either. No, he's saying, because actually Jesus doesn't pray right then. He casts out the demon. He doesn't pray. What he's saying is that you need to meet with God in the wilderness. You need to have times where you're going out and where you are connecting with God and tapping into his purpose, his will, and his power. Right? You're, you're failing because you're not praying. Because you've left that part out of your life. Right? And uh, so why are we failing in our ministry? <laughs> right? why, why do we not seem to be able to cast out demons and heal the sick and see the gospel penetrate the hearts of blind people and hard hearts of, of those we're reaching? Maybe it's because we don't pray. Right? Or maybe we pray, but we don't really know how to pray because it's not just any kind of prayer. Jesus here is praying what I would call wilderness prayer. It's wilderness praying. And we don't have a lot of time, so I'm not going to go into this at great length. But here's a crash course in wilderness prayer. Um, now, does it mean you have to actually go out into some wild place to pray? Well, I don't think so. Um, it's more what the wilderness represents, right? So I don't, I don't think to be effective, you have to go drive an hour away into some mountain region, hike another hour <laughs> to really get in the wilderness, I don't think so. But there are some things about the wilderness that it represents as important. First of all, wilderness prayer is prayer that puts away every distraction. Okay, it's prayer that's undistracted. When you pray, how many of you, like, when you begin to pray, there's just a million distractions? Yeah, right, right. Like always, right? Um, it says Jesus got up when it was still night, super early in the morning, and he went to this remote, isolated wilderness place. Now, it's not the time that's so important here as it is what's happening. Remember what happened the night before? Uh, they came as, as soon as they possibly could. The first moment they could, they swarmed his house, the, these crowds, the whole town of Capernaum showed up with all these sick and demon-possessed people, Right? Uh, Jesus goes to bed, and as he's laying there and sleeping, and maybe in the early morning hours he wakes up and he begins thinking, what's going to happen first thing this morning? Probably before sunrise, the crowd's going to be back. Because now the word's gone out even more. Because all of a sudden now there's these healed people that went home and told their friends. And so what's going to happen at the break of dawn? Well, that house is going to get swarmed with people again. And we know that's true because uh, Jesus disappears and, and they come to the disciples going, where's Jesus? Where is he? We've lost him. We've got to find this guy, right? They're looking for him. Jesus knows if he's going to pray uh, without distractions, 
He needs to get away early before the crowd shows up. Okay? Uh, same thing is true for us. We, if we're going to pray, we need to find a place of solitude, free from distractions before life gets crazy. Right? Before the demands start coming upon us. Right? Uh, so we need to get away. Uh, we need to get away, right? We need to get away from that. We need to get away from our phone and messages and work and worries. Uh, it means create, creating a quiet space on the outside, right, where we're not going to be bothered by interruptions. It also means creating a quiet space on the inside, right, where we turn off the distractions of our own brains, or at least learn how to turn those distractions into prayer. Right. So that's the first thing. Uh, we need to put away the distractions. Secondly, wilderness prayer submits fully to God. Um, you know, we have this kind of romantic uh, view of the wilderness. And actually, I like going out into the wilderness. I love going to the wilderness to pray, uh, especially if it's got a really good view with a, with a nice waterfall and chirping birds, you know. Uh, I love to pray in a place like that. But that's not the picture here of wilderness. Okay, remember Jesus is getting up super early in the morning. We don't know what time of the year it was. Well, let's imagine it's January. I don't know about you. I got up this morning. It wasn't super warm this morning. And I was very thankful I could kind of snuggle up with a hot cup of coffee and a warm chair in a relatively warm place. Jesus is going out to the wilderness. It's a hostile place. It's a lonely place. It's dark. It's cold. And there's no cushiony chair. It's uncomfortable. All right? Um, this is not finding a quaint coffee shop with comfortable chairs to pray in. Okay, why does Jesus go out there? Well, uh, the first time when he went out to the wilderness to be tempted by Satan is because Satan, and because the Holy Spirit drove him out there. Right? Jesus, this is a practice of spiritual disciplines. And spiritual disciplines are a matter of submitting ourselves fully to God and His Spirit's leading. Right? We don't prayer, and we want to make prayer comfy, cozy, like appealing. And that's not, like, if it helps you pray, sure, do those things. But wilderness prayer is the prayer of submitting ourselves to God through spiritual disciplines when it's not convenient or easy. It's getting up way earlier than I want to. Uh, it's going to a place that may not be comfortable but is less distracting, right? Uh, it's, it's submitting to God, it's, and it's in prayer surrendering to Him and His will. It's seeking the empowering of the Holy Spirit over our life, right? You, you can go to prayer and pray a long time dumping out your prayer request to God and telling God what you want Him to do. Okay, That's not, what, that's not the prayer Jesus was praying here. Right? Jesus is not praying, God, I've got a plan for you. Let me tell you what you need to do. But Jesus is saying, God, not my will. Jesus is saying, not my will, God, but yours be done. God, what is your will? What is your plan? What are you doing? I want to submit. I want to make sure I am fully submitted to you. Right? That, that's the kind of prayer that I mean by wilderness prayer. Uh, thirdly, it, it's prayer of dependence on God and what he's going to do, not what I'm going to do in my own strength. Right? We talked about this before with wilderness. Right? Wilderness is a place where, where we have nothing but God alone. 
right? And, and we, we have to depend on Him. So this is a place of realizing our total weakness and our inability to do anything. And I think this was true for Jesus. I think Jesus came to God going, God, you know, I've laid aside my glory. I've, I've laid aside that power. I am now walking in, in, in a human path. Uh, I can't do this apart from the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Right? He was seeking that power to come upon him. It's a place of working out our trust in God, that we're trusting God to do all in his strength. It's not me deciding what I'm going to do to prove to God how great I am. Right? We come in weakness. And this is a prayer of admitting our weakness and our inability and our failure and our struggle. And saying, God, the only way, the only way is if, if you fill me with your power and your spirit. Because you alone can do this. I just want to be the vessel, the channel through which you work. Fourthly, um, Jesus was sent out in the wilderness the first time to be tempted by Satan. And I think every time Jesus went to the wilderness, he was brought face to face again with that conflict with Satan. Uh, Do you have that experience? Do you find that one of the greatest places of temptation is when you pray? (laughs) Do you have that experience? I feel like I go to, this is what I feel like. I feel like I go to prayer to meet God, and the first person that shows up is Satan. And that's who I really meet, right? And I think that's true for Jesus. Um, because Satan wants to derail. If prayer is the, is the place where we get power, if this is like the power source of our life and ministry, then that's the place where Satan is going to work the hardest to bring defeat and to make sure that doesn't happen. And I find that to be very true in my own life. It's a place where we, first and foremost, have to do battle with Satan. Um, and we see that with Jesus here, right? He's praying, and the first thing that happens, Simon and those who are with him search for him. We've lost him. They go on a manhunt. They find him, and they said to him, everyone is looking for you. Okay? Everyone is looking. What is, it, what is that implying? What they're saying is, look, Jesus, here's the thing. The people of Capernaum have a plan for your life. They've got this all worked out, right? They're going to build a hospital, Jesus Memorial Healing Center, Right? Uh, They've got expectations, Jesus. They expect you this morning, and they want to know where you are because they need you. They need you, Jesus. You're needed, and and this you are important. And they they they, Jesus, you got to go, do what they want you to. Right now, is that tempting? Is that tempting? If people come to you and say, you know, we need you. Is that tempting to you? It's tempting to me. People come with you with expectations saying, you know, we, we've, got, we've got a plan for your life. And, and we're going to make you great as long as you meet our expectations. Is that tempting? It's tempting to me. I'm like, well, okay, you want me to be in charge? Oh, okay. You need me. Oh, yes, you need me and I get to be in charge. I like this plan, right? Uh, there's temptation, right? For my own glory, my own name, my own success, and, and yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be needed. I'll do important things. Right? Uh, but Jesus had to, had to settle all that. Am I here for God's will and God's glory? Or my glory and my program? Or worse yet, 
my glory and people's program. Right? Jesus had to work all that out. He had to deal with those temptations so that when they came with this great offer, they need you. He could say, uh, no, we're moving on. We're leaving. And we are going to leave all their expectations in huge disappointment. Right? Because that's not why I came. He said, let's go to the next towns that I may preach there also, but that is why I came. Right? That is why I came. That's why God sent me. Right? All right, so uh, one last thing. As we look at the life of Jesus, uh, we, we see Jesus' mission. Right? So in prayer, he settles this. Right? He knows what his mission is. And he states it here in this verse. Right? He says, this is why I came. I came uh, to, to, to preach all over everywhere I can, all over Israel, all over Galilee, all over Judea. I came to preach. He says, I know what the mission is. God has made it clear. And it's a mission. I love this. It's it's not a mission where I'm going to preach because people come to me. He says, I'm going to go. I'm going to take the message everywhere I can. And I'm going to preach the message. Right? Um, I think this is significant. He doesn't say, I came to heal and to cast out demons. He says, I came to preach. Um, his primary purpose was not healing or casting out demons. It was preaching the kingdom. Now, the results of his preaching would be the kingdom would come. But his mission ultimately was preaching the message. But what was this message? Well, it was the message of eternal life. It was the message of new life in Christ. It was the gospel message, right? Um, In other words, Jesus didn't come just to do miracles. He came ultimately to proclaim a life-giving message, not just giving temporary healing. And the question is, which is better, eternal life or temporary healing? What did people really need? Eternal life or to get fixed up until they died? (laughs) Well, obviously, eternal life, right? And that's why Jesus came. The most important thing is the message. Right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Right? That's what's most important. That He came for us. He gave up His own life. He died on the cross so that we could have life. Life eternal. Right? Uh, so, so Jesus knew His mission. Right? Uh, and I love in, in, in John... Um, the crowds are turning away from Jesus at one point, and Jesus says to the twelve, in John six sixty seven, Do you want to go his way as well? And Peter said to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Right? Peter knew that was what mattered, the message. Right? And that's what should matter to us. The crowds loved the miracles. And who wouldn't, right? It was cool. It was impressive. It was spectacular. But what they needed was the message. The message of eternal life. Here's three things you can take away, I think, from this this, this passage. First takeaway is if the message is what's most important, then what we need to spend most of our focus on is listening. Listening to the message. 
I love in that account when Jesus uh, is on the mountain of transfiguration and he, he starts to glow in the dark and Moses and Elijah show up and Peter wants to build little tabernacles, little altars, little tents for all of them to hang out. And the voice booms out from heaven. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. <laughs> Pay attention. Right? First thing for us is, are we, are we giving full attention to the message proclaimed in the gospel? Proclaimed in God's word, right? Um, we all want healing, but what we need desperately is a saving eternal life that comes through the gospel message. That should get our most attention. But secondly, I think we can take away from this that, uh, you know, we need to pray, right? We need to make prayer the most important part of our day, right? We need to do this wilderness praying um, because the power to live well and overcome sin and to see brokenness reversed and healed comes through prayer. Right? And Jesus models this. If Jesus needed to pray, how much more do I need to pray? Right? How much more do I need to make this part of my life? If Jesus felt he needed it. Right? And thirdly, uh, seek the kingdom. And by, and by that I mean in this context, seek the, the benefits that God brought through Christ with the incoming, the, the inbreaking of the kingdom. Um, we should pray for and expect uh, miracles, right? Healing, uh, the the fixing of our brokenness. Now, uh, this account also teaches us that there's limits to that. We should expect some healing, not total healing. We should expect to be quite a bit less broken, but not completely unbroken, right? Even Paul says he prayed again for this thorn in the flesh. Uh, and and it, God said no. Why? Because he uses it as a messenger for righteousness, right? As a teacher to shape and, and help you grow, right? Uh, he's not going to take away all of our problems. But we should expect to see answers to prayer. And so we should pray for God's healing. We should pray for God's healing, not just in physical things, but in our emotional brokenness. We should be praying for those things, um, uh, and, and you may say, well, you know, I prayed one time and it didn't work. God didn't heal the way I expected him to. And so I don't think it works. Right? But, but that's not the kingdom, right? The kingdom is a place where God is restoring his original design for creation. And God wants to do that work in your life. But it is a work. It's a, it's a work in progress. But we should be praying for it constantly. Uh, James says, James says you're missing out because, in James 4.2, you desire and do not have. Uh, you do not have because you do not ask. And you, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. Okay? So let's learn how to pray in ways that we are walking into and experiencing God's healing. Um, James 5.13, later he says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is any cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him or her, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. 
And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Right? Okay, this is a promise, right? And this is an instruction. And, and I will say honestly that uh, it, it, I can count on one hand the number of times in my 20 years here as pastor that somebody's called the elders to come pray. Okay, on, on one hand. Now that doesn't count. A lot of people come up on Sunday morning and pray, which is great. But where people have said, hey, we want the elders to come and pray. So few times. Right? And interestingly, uh, one of those times of, that I can count on one hand was a lady who wasn't even a believer. Wasn't even a believer. But she had been struggling with a, a serious illness for over a year. Almost died. And was not getting better. Doctors couldn't help her. She had exhausted every kind of medical treatment she could find. And she was so desperate, she, she called the elders here at CCF to come pray for her. And you know what happened? God healed her. It wasn't instant, right? I wish I could say we prayed for her and instantly she got better. But over the period of about the next three or four months, she just continued to get better and better after a year of only going down. Right? Um, uh, you know, I, I can't promise that if you call for the elders, God's going to heal you. But God commands us to call. Okay? And to ask and see what God will do. Right? And, and I know there's other, other accounts. That's not the only example. I know there are other accounts of people we have prayed for here and God's answer, right? Um, a day in the life of Jesus, right? You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.